everybody, it's James Lindsay, and you are listening to the New Discourses podcast. And today we are talking about social emotional learning again. The reason we're talking about social emotional learning again is because however much you trust social emotional learning at this point, you still trust it too much. If you trust it zero, you still trust it too much. If you trust it negative 100, you still trust it too much. Social emotional learning is creepy. Social emotional learning is a disaster. Now, we've done some long podcasts on social emotional learning here on the New Discourses podcast, and it would be great if I could summarize what those say, but let me do the um, let me do the more recent one a little bit of justice where I track the weirdness of first, I did the social emotional learning through the handbook of social and emotional learning research and practice, which is a book. It's kind of like the book on social emotional learning. And I pointed out, for example, uh, that the goal is to implement it in a very strategic way throughout the entire school systemically, and that the foreword, which is written by Linda Darling Hammond, who is one of the big proponents of social emotional learning, one of the reasons we have the social emotional learning push, um, indicates that it's explicitly designed to be based in the work of Paulo Freire, which should freak you all out given how much we know about Paulo Ferreri now. Um, I have a book coming out about Paulo Ferreri soon through the New Discourses platform, so keep your eyes open for that. Uh, it'll be called The Marxification of Education, but Linda Darling-Hammond says that the point of social-emotional learning is transformation and humanization in the same way that Paulo Ferreri means it, which means in the Marxist way. And it's kind of hard to hide that at that point. And then I go from there, from the handbook, into the World Economic Forum, and how the World Economic Forum is really hell-bent on social-emotional learning being the education of the future, which is creepy. And then we come full circle to this paper called uh, Psychodata. It was published by Ben Williamson, who I think is a critical theorist, as a matter of fact. And he is really nervous about both UNESCO and the OECD, but also the World Economic Forum, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, the Templeton Foundation, all these big money organizations dumping money into social-emotional learning, and he says that the purposes are two. Mainly, it's to gather data, actually. The main purpose is to gather psychodata, psychological data about your kids, and they're going to use that to build profiles to make a perfectly predictable economy. Now, those of you following the news know that the new prime minister of or premier or president, however they do that over there, of Italy, came out and said that this is one of the things that she wants to fight against in Italy is that the the regime, if you will, wants to make perfectly predictable consumers, absolutely perfect brainwashed consumers. Well, Williamson raises the same concern and says that the psychodata that they're gathering is to make perfectly predictable, perfectly nudgeable, perfectly um, controllable, in fact, consumers, uh, which him being a critical theorist makes him nervous about. But the second thing he says is that it also makes you perfectly controllable populations. And so the goal of SEL is to gather the data and to implement the systems, which I indicated very clearly in that podcast and many others, as a tool of thought reform in the kind of Maoist Chinese communist sense, uh, or the Freirean sense, if you'd rather, conscientization. I think they're the same thing in two different locations. Um, to gather data on your kids and then use that data to intervene on your kids to transform their cognition so that they are perfectly compliant 
tools of the regime, both economically and politically. And he calls this a psychocracy, a, a governance by psychological means. Um, and he indicates all the big scary players behind it. Uh, in particular, of course, the World Economic Forum, uh, the United Nations, particularly UNESCO, and the OECD, which keep coming up and coming up and coming up. Well, today, and so that's dark enough, right? That's what I call the dark truth about social emotional learning. I did another episode earlier in another four-hour episode breaking down social emotional learning themes earlier on the podcast. I won't really break that one down, but it goes through the different types of social emotional learning and its history. Um, and that tends to lose people, but basically it can be done in three different ways on three different scales, which gives you nine possible orientations at least for social and emotional learning. And the three different ways are uh, dealing with personal responsibility, so taking your emotional and social circumstances as a matter of personal responsibility and as an individual, which is correct. Civic participatory, which is supposed to get you out doing, uh, believing that you are to be participatory in the civic engagement around you, which can be done in a good way or a bad way. Or third, transformative, which is explicitly about raising a critical consciousness, in other words, developing a Marxist consciousness of the social and emotional themes that are happening in your life. So the goal of transformative SEL is to use surveying and interviewing and understanding the uh, culturally relevant context of the student's life and then using that to, in, through a Frarian lens, like Linda Darling-Hammond has told us, using that to induce a critical consciousness of their lived experience. So that's transformative SEL. That's turning your kids into Marxists. That is Marxist thought reform. And that's the push in all of SEL from CASEL, the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning. That's the big push with CASEL into all SEL becoming transformative SEL. So that's the three different types and the three different scales of implementation are targeted or individual implementation. So you identify the problem having kids, the truly at-risk kids. We've probably discussed here on the podcast, I don't know, so many things that they've redefined at risk to be at risk of graduating without having your SEL competency. They're using that to leverage federal money for at-risk students because they can say every kid is at risk and that what it needs to do to mitigate that risk is implement SEL. But individual targeted implementation would look for actually troubled kids take them aside with qualified professionals in maybe the guidance office or with, you know, school counselors. This is a question is whether or not the school should be doing this at all, but let's say that maybe it should in this way for the moment. Um, and, and dealing with the kids in an individual way. And when you pair that with a personal responsibility, you take these kids that have a hard time with their social, their emotional life, and you target them individually and you say, look, you're having a hard time. Here are some skills where you can take responsibility for your social and emotional welfare and life this sounds like a pretty good program. So that's up in kind of, if you think of it as a three by three checkerboard, kind of a grid there, that's up in like one of the corners. Maybe we'll say the upper left corner. And that one seems pretty good. And they actually ride on the goodness of that to implement the other crap like transformative. Well, the second level of implementation is curricular. So this would be actually having social and emotional classes or social and emotional curriculum specifically embedded within other courses. Um, but in particular, you know, just like you have a health class, you might have this broader wellness class and it might have a social and emotional component of wellness and you actually would do, would do lessons. So this is obviously a bigger level of engagement. You're not targeting at-risk kids. You're now teaching every kid social and emotional skills, but you're doing so in kind of a contained fashion. And then the third, um, 
level of implementation is systemic. And that is literally the goal is to weave social and emotional learning into every subject, into every facet of school life. And so what you actually are seeing Castle push for primarily is systemic implementation of transformative SEL, but the way they're selling it is off of the benefits and the positive name. So that might be the bottom right corner. In the upper left corner, you have the positive benefits and, and good name of an individual and targeted approach using personal responsibility. It could be also biblical if we want to add another dimension, but that's that's another another time for another topic for another time. So social emotional learning, and that one I broke down, is lots of things. And there's this bait and switch. I did a whole episode just on the bait and switch that's separate from that as well, where the goal is to convince people that there's this really great thing called social emotional learning, and they use the evidence and the stories and the vision and the idea. They let you think about taking the at-risk kid, not knowing they redefined at-risk to be all the kids, because they're at risk of graduating, not college and career ready, where college and career ready means fully competent in the SEL competencies. So they let you think that you're dealing with actual at-risk kids in responsible ways with actual professionals who are intervening in unique situations or unique sometimes classrooms to try to help actually at-risk and troubled problem-oriented situations with a personal responsibility model that maybe sometimes gets civic participatory, but, you know, it's mostly sensible. But in fact, they're using that to sell uh, and implement systemic level, a systemic level of implementation of transformative SEL, which is to, meaning to turn the schools into thought reform centers or thought reform prisons as a sense, in a sense, because the kids are required to be there. All right. So that's a nice preamble because today I'm going to read you a couple more, some out of a couple more documents that I've come across about social emotional learning. And I actually come across like three of these a day. So I have no way that I can communicate to you the horror of SEL in an adequate way, in my opinion. And I stress out about this, actually. I'm getting this backlog in my head of stress. Like, I actually kind of want to scream at people, like, I can't read all this fucking shit. Stop sending it to me. And I come across, like, so many things. I have eight books open on my phone. That's my phone, not other device. I don't know how many are open on my laptop. I don't have time to read all this crap. and I get you know, literally two or three new ones a day sent to me. Most of them right now about social emotional learning. Horrifying what's going on. So I skim some of them. I get excerpts sent to me from some of them. And it's very helpful to kind of have a picture, but I can't communicate it. There's no possibility of me communicating this to you fast enough. If I spent six hours a day podcasting, put out a six-hour podcast every day, I could barely scratch the surface of what's going on with SEL that people need to know about. It's that bad. So like I said, the reason we're doing another SEL podcast is because you need to know just how creepy this is. And however creepy you think it is, it's creepier. However much you trust it, you need to trust it less. You got NPR putting out articles trying to calm down the uh, intellectual class, the credentialed class. Um, I actually listened to NPR in an Uber the other day for the first time in a long time, and I was like, wow, this is a Xanax for the professional class. For people who think they're smarter than everybody, really, not just professionals. People who listen to NPR are the people who think they're smarter than everybody. That's the only reason anybody on earth would listen to NPR. And they use calming voices, and they tell kind of selective lies from carefully curated experts, like from the London School of Economics, which is an outright socialist organization. 
Um, it's literally the Fabian Socialists School of Economics. And um, they tell these kind of calming stories to calm people down. And I just saw an article from NPR yesterday or day before. I don't know. All the days run together. I get so much crap sent to me. And the truth is that they're trying to calm people down, that there's this weird right-wing attack on social-emotional learning now. Yeah. Well, whatever that attack is, it needs to be a hundred times as big. Uh, however much we're going after social emotional learning right now, there needs to be 100 times the effort. So if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, what on earth could I do? Well, James is telling you, I get too much crap sent to me about social emotional learning. People, I podcast about it because I don't have time to write it because there's just too much. People cite writing. People don't cite podcasts. People listen to podcasts, but they don't usually read. So there's this weird thing where you have to do both. I don't have time for this crap. You, yes, you, could contribute to the 100 times more effort we need against social-emotional learning by maybe you can go read some of these friggin' documents and you can write a substack and you can start putting your substack out about it. You can start telling people about it. You can start to, don't send it all to me. I can't do it. I don't mind to see it, but I can't handle all this crap. So what we need is 100 times the effort that we already have against social-emotional learning. I'm telling you. There are, in a sense, two real heads and one heart to this beast that we're fighting, and the two real heads are social-emotional learning, SEL, and environmental social governance, scoring for corporations and institutions, and eventually individuals, ESG. So SEL and ESG are the two heads of this dragon, and the dragon's heart is the sustainable development goals of the United Nations Agenda 2030. Now, if you're also following along in the podcast, you know we're halfway through this horrific document from UNESCO which is the United Nations Educational Scientific Cultural Organization, um, this horrific document where they're cajoling, is published this year in 2022, where they're cajoling all higher education institutions to be dedicated. Their entire mission statement has to be rewritten and dedicated to, to, to teaching students and modeling the achievement of the 17 Sustainable Development Goals to transform our world from this United Nations Agenda 2030. They're completely explicit about that. They're open about saying that no higher education institution should support the fossil fuel industry and research practice, endowments, anything whatsoever at all. They explicitly say that in those words. So at the heart of the beast is the sustainable development goals of the United Nations. Okay, so you have three acronyms that are really the three acronyms of evil that we're dealing with. Social emotional learning is one of them. You're going to find out that they're all tied together. ESG is another one. And then the third one is SDGs, uh, Sustainable Development Goals of the United Nations for Agenda 2030, which is not a conspiracy theory. It's all over their everything. They've got symbols. People wear them as lapel pins. It's this little wheel, which is like the SDGI of Sauron, um, or the I of SDG Auron, I guess. <laughs> Sustainable Development Goal Auron. I don't know. I'm making things up. But you're going to find out that these are tied together. We've already talked about in previous episodes how SEL is used to bring kids into ESG, into an ESG compliant worldview. Okay. You should be having good governance. You should be freaking out about environment, thinking it's an existential risk, and you should have all the social justice stuff. And that's what they're using SEL to do. Well, it turns out that the SEL is also being used to foster. Um, the SDGs directly, at least according to UNESCO. So here we are back in a UNESCO document, and this isn't actually the thing I'm going to talk about primarily today. I'm going to read more from a USAID document 
Um, but I want to read a little piece here. This is from a publication of UNESCO called The Blue Dot, which of course refers to Earth. Earth is the O in dot on the blue dot on their logo. The blue dot is Earth as seen from space, from far away, from outside. This is published in 2019, and the title is SEL for SDGs. Mm-hmm. Social Emotional Learning for the Sustainable Development Goals. That's what it says. And the subtitle is Why Social and Emotional Learning, SEL, is Necessary to Achieve the Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs. That's the title. This is by Stanley Asa and Nandini Chatterjee Singh. And like I said, this was published um, in 2019 uh, for UNESCO the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. I'm just going to read a part of this. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this is what they tell you, just to preface this, is that the purpose of social-emotional learning is actually to teach children to manage cognitive dissonance. And the reason they need to be taught to manage cognitive dissonance is because you're going to try to brainwash them on the sustainable development goals and the need to achieve them, which is also going to cause them to fear uh, existential risk from the unsustainable world that they live in. So you need to teach them to manage this, the existential paralysis and fear that they're brainwashing them into, which is going to cause psychological collapse for these kids later, by the way. They're going to all end up crazy. What this does, what SEL does is makes kids go crazy eventually, but that's what's going to happen. Anyway, the other thing they say is that many of these goals are actually self-contradictory. And so you're going to try to teach kids to embrace with existential fear the need to accomplish self-contradictory goals so they're going to freak out and they're going to experience cognitive dissonance. And this is that social-emotional learning is largely designed to help them deal with the cognitive dissonance of being asked to accomplish contradictory goals in service to the sustainable development goals. It really says that. So it says this. I'll just read some of this. The Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs, are not necessarily a set of consistent objectives, but rather a series of potentially conflicting goals. I'm not kidding. I said they say this. They say this. From the perspective of the development agent, these conflicting objectives entail inconsistencies in actions and antecedents needed to attain the SDGs. For example, eradicating poverty, a societal objective, might entail, at least in the short term, working the self to the point of compromising personal well-being. See what it's asking for of your kids? We have to eradicate poverty completely. If you don't know that the first sustainable development goal is to eradicate poverty in all of its forms, everywhere on earth, by 2030. So eradicating poverty, a societal objective, might entail, at least in the short term, working the self to the point of compromising personal well-being, which is another SDG. Another clear example of such conflicts is the slow progress or even resistance to climate change policies because of the relationships across work choice, economic growth, and climate change. Thus, attainment of these goals may necessitate a balancing act. Development agents may consider multiple options and, ta- and, and make trade-offs. Section, Dissonance in the SDGs. At the level of the individual and social collectives, listen to the way these people talk, by the way. Did you have any doubt left that these people are communists? At the level of the individual and social collectives, these trade-offs in SDGs will be quite taxing because of the conflicting, because, sorry, because the conflicting goals are, in effect, inconsistent cognitions. 
generally referred to as cognitive dissonance or dissonance. I don't know why they do that, but okay. According to dissonance theory, one of the most tried and tested theories in the behavioral sciences, inconsistent cognitions evokes aversive arousal state. The, the, the grammar on this is unbelievable. Inconsistent co cognitions evokes aversive arousal state. This is so terrible. That leads to attitudes and behaviors aimed at reducing the arousal. In other words, when you experience, when you are given contradictory information, you experience stress and you act in a way to try to reduce or resolve the stress. That's basically all it's saying with this complicated bullshit. Dissonance is constituted by two important social psychological processes, inconsistency among cognitions, a more rational phenomenon referred to as cognitive discrepancy, and the unpleasant emotional and motivational state that arises from holding two contradictory cognitions referred to as dissonance. Yeah, you get cognitively freaked out and stressed out, and then you get motivationally paralyzed. It's impossible to do contradictory things unless your goal is to accelerate the contradictions, comrade. So remember, the context of this is social-emotional learning is going to fix that. So the kids can be little SDG transformative, uh, what do they call them, developmental agents. Dissonance is unpleasant. The aversive arousal state is because inconsistent cognitions impede effective and uncon unconflicted actions. And I apologize, the readings rough. the text on this is tiny, but if I make it bigger, it doesn't fit on the page. The unpleasant Emotive state of dissonance motivates attitude changes or engagements in other dissonance reduction processes. Hence, encounters with dissonance trigger a variety of dissonance-reducing cognitions. Attitudes and behaviors that align cognitions with behavioral commitments to facilitate the execution of effective, unconflicting actions. For example, it has been widely demonstrated that following a dissonance-triggered decision, people alter their attitudes to be more consistent with their choices. So in other words, you made a choice that goes against your your uh, who you think you are or whatever. That's a good example. You, you know, you're a vegan and you decided to have a hot dog or something. And then you go back and start rationalizing why you did that. That's what all this is really saying. This is the case because following a dissonance triggered decision, psychological processes are deployed to assist with the execution of the decision. This is so painful in terms of something that's actually really simple. Post hoc rationalization. After the fact, that's post hoc, you rationalize what you did to make yourself feel better about the fact that you created a psychological conflict. They could have said this way more simply, but it's UNESCO. This process involves post-decision views of the chosen alternative in a more favorable light and the rejected option in a more negative light. We call that sour grapes. I didn't want to be on the team anyway. So as to help the individual follow through and act on the decision in a more effective manner. Dissonance, now this is in orange. This is bolded colored text. Dissonance has important implications for the attainment of the SDGs. It strains there's no periods. So I'm a little worried about this. It strains development. Oh, here we are. Agents, rational cognitive discrepancy and emotional aversive arousal capabilities to reflect, self-regulate, and act in pursuit of the attainment of those goals. Okay, so social emotional learning is necessary to overcome the cognitive dissonance that comes with being asked with high stakes to have to 
do whatever crap they want you to do to be uh, development agents and sustainable development goals. Your kids are going to become their development agents. Sounds great, right? These, what does that say? These strains. Sorry, I'm telling you, the text is tiny. Maybe I can make it bigger because this is killing me. But if I make it bigger, it goes off the page. They've, they've switched to a three-column model where the words are itty-bitty. These strains may undermine attainment of these goals. For example, if development agents view an otherwise prioritized development goal in a more negative light because it conflicts with an otherwise less prioritized goal, but that they favor at the moment, the former may be jeopardized. So you might pick something that makes more sense over something that makes less sense, but is more important. Additionally, because dissonance challenges both cognitive and emotional capabilities, it might be self-defeating, leading to inaction, discouraging actions in pursuit of SDGs. See, the only actions that matter are achieving their sustainable development goals because your kids are supposed to be their little robots. In contrast, because dissonance prompts development agents to reflect on their values and other behavioral antecedents and to self-regulate the unpleasant emotive state, it is a necessary aspect of measured deliberative sustainable development actions because it obligates the development agent to, it's your child, to weigh options and make decisions. Thus, dissonance has considerable implications for how we understand and manage individual social actions that enable attainment of the SDGs. Okay, so pro-social behavior, they have a little box here. Pro-social behavior promotes human flourishing, which we believe is critical for attainment of the SDGs. These people are evil. There's literally like nothing else to say about it, that these people are evil. So this goes on about talking about this dissonance. I'm not going to just keep uh, banging on this. It's sort of boring. I'm not going not to lie. Their writing is atrocious. But here in the next paragraph, they have in bold, we posit two specific avenues, emotional resilience and pro-social behavior for managing dissonance and attainment of the SDGs. And they say, while dissonance is a core motivation for maintaining coherent thinking, that's what I guess they're against, subsequent actions to achieving the sustainable development goals necessarily depend on the cultivation of both emotional resilience and pro-social skills. And they talk about what those things are, which basically means suck it up buttercup and do what we say in the name of the collective. Next section is titled Social and Emotional Learning as Fundamental Skills. And they say social and emotional learning has emerged as competencies through which individuals recognize and regulate emotions, identify positive purpose, demonstrate empathy for others, take constructive action, and promote human flourishing with origins in emotional intelligence. They don't mention the Fetzer Institute and New Age spirituality there, do they? Social-emotional learning skills are powerful competencies since they have been shown to A, facilitate learning, and B, build emotional resilience, C, promote pro-social behavior, and D, instill pluralistic thinking. In other words, being a little communist. Recent research from the neurosciences, so now you know some bullshit's coming, shows that the emotional centers of the brain are closely intertwined with the cognitive centers of learning in the brain. As a consequence, when the brain encounters situations of dissonance, like social sustainable development goals are being turned into a development agent for the United Nations instead of learning at school, uh, for instance, maybe, cognition and attention are hampered and emotional response is explosive or distraught. Yeah, I told you, they're going to make kids crazy with this shit. The expl thus, explicit training in SEL builds... Bu I can't believe the grammar on this. Thus, explicit training in SEL build competencies that might empower and enable individuals to regulate emotional response. One such framework entitled EMC2, 
which is obviously a riff off of E equals MC squared, and they actually have a graphic further down of Einstein writing this shit on a chalkboard, <sighs> seeks to provide explicit training in four competencies, namely empathy, E, mindfulness, M, compassion, C, and critical inquiry, C. C, there's two Cs, E-M-C squared. Empathy, mindfulness, compassion, and critical inquiry. Critical inquiry right? Critical theory. To build emotional resilience and promote pro-social behavior. Now, it's funny that they call it emotional resilience because I'm virtually positive that the point of a critical theory is, in fact, to do what? To induce personality disorders. And so they go on to talk about this E equals MC squared framework, or the EMC squared framework, I should say, and then dissonance in EMC squared uh, but we'll just read in the bolded parts. The EMC squared framework is designed to develop and nourish the whole brain. Blah, 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 neuroscience. The whole brain. The whole brain. It's going to nourish the whole brain. Not the brain compartmentalized into different parts, but the whole brain. Why is this whole, 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 holistic, whole child, whole school, whole community, holistic, holistic, whole, 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 whole brain? Why is this a thing? Because it's Hegel. Because it's Hegel. Dialectical leftism is based off the Hegelian philosophy that you can only understand how the particulars, the opposites, are actually unified in a higher level understanding, that's your dialectical synthesis, in terms of the whole. So you have to understand the particulars in terms of the whole. When you understand the particulars in terms of the whole, you can see how the particulars are both aspects of the same thing, and thus they are not actually opposites, but they are synthesized into a higher level synthetic understanding. So they're always talking about the whole everything, the whole child, the whole school, the whole community, the holistic, holistic. This is what Freire talks about, is that you have to understand, you can't understand, uh, he's, when he talks about the, the learner as a marginal man, right? So the, the oppressed as the marginal person. What he says is that they're moved out to the margin, and from the margin you aren't in the center. Only from the center can you see the whole. You can't see the whole from the margins. And so what you have to do is move back into the center where power lives, and then you can see the whole. And when you understand the whole, then you understand what's going on. What is he specifically talking about when Ferrari's doing that? What he's saying is that when you're out at the margin, you only understand yourself at the margins. But when you understand that there's a whole dynamic, that you're not at the margins by chance, you were marginalized, and thus there was a marginalizer. Thus there's a process or a structure or a system in society that's marginalizing you and that you, the marginal, can move from margin to center when you understand who you are and what your role is in creating change. That's why they're always talking about whole. You have to understand your role as a particular, as a margin, a marginalized person versus a centralized people. Oh, those are opposites, right? The people with power, the people without, haves, have not. That's opposites, but really they're part of a whole dynamic, a holistic dynamic. When you see the thing from the whole, then you understand what's really going on and you can understand yourself as a change agent who can move from margin to center and overthrow the society and seize the means of production of, in Freire's case, knowledge. If it was Marx, we'd be talking about material production. Here we're talking about the whole brain because they've laid out this dichotomy that there's the cognitive brain and the emotional brain. There's the thinking side and the feeling side. And the thinking and the feeling side have to be seen together from a perspective of a whole brain where the feelings and the emotions and the affect are all integrated into how the thinking processes, the cognitive processes work. All this is is a fancy dressing up of when Herbert Marcuse in 1964 was writing One Dimensional Man. He's saying that we're too wrapped up in the cognitive processes and that makes us one-dimensional. We need a second dimension, which is the critical dimension, or the, even the affective or the emotional dimension, the transgressive dimension in, in particular. And so this is 
How are you going to mix together dialect the whole brain EMC squared framework? What does it mean? It means that how are you going to integrate emotions into cognition? How are you going to put feelings into logic? How are you going to integrate pathos into logos? Depending on which one of the things that I've said in the past you want to lock onto. Remember, E it's EMC squared equals emotional resilience that promotes prosocial behavior. They've literally got a drawing of Einstein writing that shit. E is empathy, M is mindfulness, C squared is compassion and critical inquiry. Compassion and empathy, by the way. Mindfulness and then critical inquiry. This is just Herbert Marcuse's two-dimensionality being brought back up, using fake neuroscience to justify it so that they can blend thinking processes and emotional processes, which is what Ferrari says is the point of a conscientizing process. The generative themes have to have emotional engagement for the learners. That's what Paulo Ferrari says. You have to bring the emotion of the concrete nature of their lived experience into the learning process. Their reading lesson has to begin with an emotional engagement. And what does critically uh, or culturally responsive training or teaching say it's going to do? Is it's going to be more engaging to the real lived context, lived experience of the lives of the learners so that they're more engaged. Same, 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 same. It's mixing emotion in so that you can utilize emotion to radicalize under the guise of education. This is the, 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 the theme of the theft of education. I've got some articles I've written on new discourses about this. I've talked about it on a, about a dozen podcasts now. The forthcoming book called The Marxification of Education bears the idea of the theft of education as a running theme and subtitle. So you'll want to check that out. Um, the next section, I'm just skipping here. I'm not going to read all of this um, horrific nonsense, but what you're getting is the picture. Actually, let me read. Um, they, they go through the, the, the four things. Empathy is the, the general capacity to recognize emotion, see, and also resonate with others' emotional states, such as happiness, excitement, sorrow, or fear. Empathy is naturally embedded in the human brain in the mirror neurons network and forms a basis of societal structure. Seems like a bit of a stretch, but okay. Mindfulness is self-regulation. Make sure I didn't leave anything out. Okay, I didn't. Mindfulness is self-regulation and the self-regulation. So when they cram you full of contradictory bullcrap, you regulate yourself. When they tell you that you act out, that's white fragility. And that when you suck it up and take your race lesson, that you're showing racial humility, that's mindfulness. Mindfulness is self-regulation and the building of conscious awareness that arises from paying attention to the experience of right now. Don't think into the future where this is obviously going to collapse and kill millions of people. Just worry about right now. Don't look into the past where people like Mao and Pol Pot did similar stuff. Just worry about right now. It is designed to cultivate conscious awareness of A, where attention resides, B, how emotions and feelings are experienced in the body, and C, how thought, beliefs, values, and emotions may influence one's ability to pay attention and regulate emotion. Notice that they want this at school, by the way. Compassion is the ability to take positive action to alleviate suffering in the other. See, it's different from empathy. Empathy is a feeling, compassion is an action. You have to go do something to eradicate poverty, to help pollution, to do whatever. Compassion requires behavioral action motivated by the need and desire to improve the other's well-being and is the fundamental basis to promote pro-social behavior. Now, pause for a second. Is compassion taking action, is that something that you've ever thought before? No. They've redefined compassion. That means you're going to go do praxis. Empathy is going to be the, the basis for the theory. Your emotions are going to get involved. And compassion is going to be the practice. You're going to go do something. So it's praxis, I should say. 
critical inquiry is the continued ability that never stops to question and evaluate decisions, actions, and behavioral change through observation, experience, thinking, reasoning, and judgment. They don't tell you that that is not what critical inquiry is. Critical inquiry is having that second dimensionality of transgression. So what you're actually going to be questioning, the continued ability to question and evaluate, is how the society is structurally arranged to uh, create the problems that you have to be empathetic and compassionate about. Dissonance and the EMC squared. Since dissonance is an unpleasant emotive state, subjects of dissonance require emotional, emotion regulatory capabilities, emotional resilience, I mean sucking up and taking, sucking it up and taking it, clearly, to navigate the behaviors and prerequisite antecedents to attain the sustainable development goals. Dissonance and this program that seems to have nothing to do with the sustainable development goals is necessary to attain the sustainable development goals. That's the whole purpose. That they're single-minded. Their single point of focus is attain the SDGs. This is the this is the north star of their new religion, by the way. This is why I said it's the heart of the beast. The sustainable development goals of Agenda 2030 of the United Nations are the heart of the beast because they are the new north star. You're not pointing toward God. You're not pointing toward whatever else. You're point or not even self. You're pointing toward attain the United Nations Agenda 2030. That's the new North Star. That's the new religious orientation, theological orientation for everybody. And, so, and what they're telling you is it's going to induce a lot of cognitive dissonance to force people into believing this, kids in particular. So we have to use social-emotional learning to get them to manage the dissonance so they can suck it up and have the emotional resilience in order to be able to become, what do they call them, developmental agents. Dissonance, they say, can be caused by beliefs, attitudes, values, and feelings about oneself, others, or the environment. Thus, interventions to reduce dissonance are required to address the cognitive antecedents of emotion, the intensity of emotional response, and the cognitive regulation of this emotional response. These can be achieved by combined training of empathy and mindfulness to build skills of emotional resilience and regulation. And blah, 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 according to the Fredrickson Broaden and Build Theory, so you can look that up, I guess, yourself, yada, yada, yada. But the next section is SEL, Education, and the SDGs. I'll just read this one paragraph and then this giant orange box. The question we ask ourselves is how can we develop these competencies? One such avenue uh, could be our formal education system. So how do we brainwash people into accepting the contradictory nature of the sustainable development goals as a chief objective for uh, their lives in terms of this EMC squared bullshit that they've cooked up? Well, we could use the formal education system. We could just brainwash the kids. Recent experiences, they say, with SEL in schools shows promise. Actually, it's recent experiences with SEL in schools show promise. The grammar's correct for once. In improving pro-social behavior and inculcate actions that go beyond just the self, but toward the collective good. Well, you almost had us going there. See, this is what I was saying with that bait and switch. When it's pro-social behaviors, that's when you do it in a targeted individual way, dealing with kids to teach them to take personal responsibility for their emotions, etc., and then, whoop, switch. They go beyond just the self, but toward the collective good. There's your Marxism. This, however, suggests a radical change. Hmm, there's some more Marxism. This, however, suggests a radical change in our education system. We are advocating here for a whole brain approach to our education systems, whereby the focus shifts from purely building intellectual intelligence to one in which there is a balance of both intellectual and emotional intelligence. That's exactly what I explained before, and SEL is going to be the bridge to do it. 
And what does it say? The in giant letters and a huge orange box. The objective is therefore towards building emotionally resilient individuals who are able to navigate the complex landscape of conflicting goals and dissonance to one of pro-social behavior that promotes human flourishing and the attainment of the sustainable development goals. And that's how they end this document. So anyway, now that we're edified on UNESCO, remember this is UNESCO saying in 2019 that attaining the sustainable development goals is going to require the mass implementation of social and emotional learning because the, so, the sustainable development goals, if you want to turn children into developmental agents, as they're calling them, is going to induce massive amounts of cognitive dissonance. They're going to be stressed out. They're going to see that these are contradictory demands. They're not going to know what to do. It's going to blindside them and stress them out. And so instead you have to brainwash them to be emotionally resilient, to blend emotional and intellectual capacity and aim it all at achieving the sustainable development goals. So in practice, what that's going to mean is that you are actually going to um, make sure that not only are you dealing with this emotional resilience, yada, 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 with the um, sustainable development goals as a target, but you are actually going to uh, teach the kids to what is it? What was it? To be mindful, so they live in the now. So they freak out about what's happening now, and they don't think about long-term trends. And then they're supposed to have empathy, so they care about the problems that they're taught to care about, and then compassion, so they're going to go take action. They're going to become activists in in alignment with that. With critical inquiry, critical inquiry is going to be uh, the key. Okay, so like I told you. However much you don't trust social-emotional learning, you should trust it less. Why? Well, UNESCO, not just the World Economic Forum and all these other creepy organizations, Bill Gates or Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, etc., not only are all these creepy organizations highly invested in it, but UNESCO is saying that social-emotional learning is the necessary tool. This is three years ago, saying that this is the absolutely necessary tool if we're going to turn the formal education system into a uh, opportunity to achieve the sustainable development goals. How would you do that? By brainwashing the kids in the schools. Social emotional learning is a brainwashing tool. How clear do we have to make this? It is a brainwashing tool that is being used to achieve the agendas that are all intertwined of entities like the United Nations through UNESCO, which is going to be the sustainable development goals, the World Economic Forum, which is its ESG goals, which actually supply the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, uh, the World Bank, the OECD, etc. All funded by creepers like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, which I will remind you that one of the goals that they published, the World Economic Forum published recently, saying that EdTech hadn't delivered on its promises sufficiently, was why is Chan Zuckerberg so interested in this? Because they want to move education into the metaverse so they can get socially, emotionally brainwashed to be emotionally resilient and have their whole brain nourished in the metaverse. Okay, so we've listed a bunch of creepy organizations here and creepy things for social emotional learning, but then we have this document that came out in July 2022, that's just a couple months ago, that I want to point out to you, that came out from USAID, from the American people. Their tagline says, the United States Agency for International Development, which I'm sure is a wholesome organization that would never do anything creepy or bad. And what is the title of this document? Equity, inclusion. Those are two words that we trust these days, aren't they? Equity, inclusion, so it's socialism and the means by which socialism is going to be achieved. Equity, inclusion, and <laughs> social-emotional learning. 
USAID Development, Democracy, and Innovation Center for Education, July 2022. One more time, that title is Equity, Inclusion, and Social-Emotional Learning. So, there we go. It says, this publication was produced for the United States Agency for International Development, USAID. It was written by Sierra Kaler Jones, Ph.D. So, if you want to look somebody up or deal with that, there's her name. C-I-E-R-R-A. K-A-L-E-R hyphen Jones, Ph.D., wrote this brilliant document that I'm sure your taxpayer dollars have paid for. It does say that the views expressed in this publication do not necessarily reflect the views of USAID or the United States government, even though that's exactly what, um, that's exactly uh, who published it. Right, so contents, we'll skip that. I'm going to read through the executive summary and the introduction, and I'm going to skip around. This is a fairly short document. It's 29 pages, but a lot of it's graphs and pictures and stuff and references and resources that I'm not going to dive into. So executive summary. The purpose of this paper is to provide recommendations for quality integration of social-emotional learning, SEL, and inclusive education. Remember we did that podcast about how inclusion is the lever. The inclusion and sustainability are the two things they can't get away from people. Get that into your head. They have completely committed to two objectives, which are sustainability and inclusion. Bomb those things. Destroy their reputations. Make it so that when people hear sustainable or inclusive, especially when they hear them together, that they cringe and they know something bad is going on. In fact, it's communism. So, or neo-communism. Anyway, so this is to uh, provide recommendations for quality integration of social-emotional learning and inclusive education, which considers and meets the needs of all learners into pre-primary and higher education programs. Now, let me just point out, um, this is not true. The inclusive education, the inclusive classroom does not meet the needs of all learners. What it actually does is it brings people who have no business being in a mainstreamed classroom because they have massive emotional or uh, psychological or mental um, issues. It brings those people back into the classroom or just puts them into the classroom. It integrates them into the classroom under the banner of inclusion to where learning is destroyed. Your typical student can't learn shit. Because you have a bunch of people who shouldn't be in the main classroom, sometimes that are emotionally disturbed. There are reasons to believe that the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School was the result. There are very good reasons to believe that one of the main policy failures that led to that was the inclusive classroom. Did that serve the needs of all learners to have that school shooting, one of the most horrific school shootings in America's history? Because the kid that did the shooting, every student in that high school knew when they heard the first shot ring out who was shooting. They knew. They even said, we said something, they did nothing. They knew. And the reason that kid was still in the high school, the one that came to the school with the guns that day and started shooting everybody, the reason that kid was in the high school is because of the inclusive education initiatives that say, well, we can't separate him from the mainstream education because it has to be meeting the needs of all learners, including the massively emotionally disturbed. They have to be brought back into school. Does this not resonate with what your kids are telling you in class? That the kids who act up are kept there? That the kids who are emotionally or cognitively deficient are, are integrated into the main classroom and it's massively disrupting? Does this not resonate? That's the inclusive education initiative that allegedly considers and meets the needs of all learners. Okay, so just to, just to point out something important there. 
This paper identify er identifies areas where social emotional learning can be stronger, especially in its implementation. Yeah, of course, they're going to want they want more of it. Why? Because it's a brainwashing tool for the SDGs. It's a brainwashing tool for the World Economic Forum. It's the data collecting situation so they can build the psychocracy that Ben Williamson warns about and that the Prime Minister of Italy is warning about right now, the new one. Okay, so where SEL can be stronger, especially in its implementation, and offers an examination of how SEL approaches advanced, equitable, and inclusive education goals. Aha! That's what SEL does. SEL approaches advanced, equitable, and inclusive education goals. As a matter of fact, in this document, they're going to warn us, though, that if they're not aimed at that, then they're problems. In fact, if they're not using critical theory, if they're not transformative SEL, they might actually achieve the opposite. So you remember that thing I told you at the bait and switch, that they have the... Um, personal responsibility approach that targets actually at-risk individuals, and they use that as a sales pitch. They look how great this is, look what it, what it does. Boom. They're going to tell you in this document, I know I just did a Steve Bannon, boom. But they're going to tell you in this document that if you do that instead of the transformative critical consciousness one, then you might actually get the opposite desire, the opposite goal. You might not encourage inclusion and sustainability. You might not get equity out. You might you might make something that actually works instead of brainwashing kids, which is going to drive them insane, which, by the way, is what people are starting to experience from this. This is probably why you have um, various places. I just heard about this happening in Oklahoma uh, last night when I was, was talking with some Oklahomans, and they're building all these mental health facilities for children, although there's no data showing, or teenagers and children, although there's no data showing that they're needed right now, that there's not a surge in demand. It's as if they're preparing for a surge in demand or something. Because SEL is going to make kids crazy. That's why. It, it is. Okay, but that's what we call advancing equitable and inclusive education goals. Using Universal Design for Learning, UDL, as a framework to make SEL more... Ex they need more fucking acronyms, don't they? <sighs> Can't keep... Nobody can keep this shit straight, and that's the point. Using Universal Design for Learning, UDL, as a framework to make SEL more accessible for, for all learners. All learners, remember what that means. That means disturbed people. That means bad people. That means kids with massive issues. This paper builds upon previous work that centers on equity. That's the redistribution of shares to make people equal, remember, in social-emotional learning. This paper actually points that out. So this paper will address the following questions. One, how does SEL advance equity? Two, how can SEL be more equitable? Good God, these people. Three, how can the UDL framework, Universal Design for Learning, there's no way I'm going to remember that every time it comes up. How can the Universal Design for Learning, Universal Design for Learning, because every kid is the same, but it's got to be inclusive to everybody, hmm, be applied to SEL programs and curricula. The funny thing is with this Universal Design for Learning is they're probably going to pay for this out of Title I funding, which is kids with disabilities who are obviously having other learning needs. Right. This is one of the massive things that we've we've been doing in education, right or wrong, for a while. Is that a universal design for learning isn't good. It actually doesn't serve the needs of most people. Hmm. Anyway, how can a universal design for learning framework be applied to SEL programs and curricula? And then four, what promising programs or activities that promote equity in SEL already exist? Text box number one, a little gray box. This paper defines learners as students from pre-primary, so that means preschool, through higher education, delivered in formal or non-formal settings, including out-of-school youth. 
So this is definitely going to count homeschoolers. This is definitely going to count private school kids. This is also, of course, going to connect, uh, count uh, um, young people who aren't even in school, but also, of course, public school. And all the way up, this is what they sometimes call P through 20, which they've hidden pre-K all the way up to PhD. Introduction and background. The purpose of this report is to provide recommendations for quality integration of social-emotional learning, SEL, that meets the needs of all learners from pre-primary through higher education. SEL, equity, and inclusion are priorities within the 2018 USAID education policy, which has a link, which means we could go read that if we wanted to die. This report examines how inclusive learning environments impact the development of social, emotional, and soft skills. Building on previous work that aligned SEL and Universal Design for Learning, UDL, this paper offers examples of how to transform and strengthen education systems and make SEL accessible for, for all learners. Don't you just want to barf every time you hear, for all learners? Remember, learners, by the way, is a Frarian little shift. You don't call them students anymore because that would reinforce the power dynamic. They're learners. Everybody's a learner. You're a learner. The teacher's a learner. Everybody's a learner. The teacher's not a teacher. It's an educator. And an educator is a learner who is a facilitator. That was Frary because you can't reproduce the power dynamic in a democratic classroom. So learner is a word that means not student. It means some amorphous gobbledygook where there is no structure or hierarchy, there's no authority, there's no discipline, and there's kids running around like wild animals and uh, causing all kinds of mayhem and nobody's learning. But it's for all learners. It's such bullshit. USAID developed this paper after a series of consultation meetings with disability and inclusion experts, education experts, and members of the SEL working group. I'm sure that that was, like, not a gigantic circle jerk. USAID also reviewed relevant policy programming documents, identified activities that focused in this area, and informal interviews with external partners. This report reflects best practices, according to some dipshits, and evidence from empirical research. Yeah, ask me about empirical research. The anniversary of the Grievance Studies Affair, the fourth anniversary, just came out, just passed, October 2nd. Examples from USAID-funded programs and internationally recognized frameworks. Specifically, it focuses on foundational skills development, youth workforce development, and higher education programming. However, pre-preliminary, or sorry, pre-primary education is another area worthy of attention and exploration for the next step of this work. In other words, let's drag this shit down into pre-K. Social-emotional learning. The 2018 USAID education policy provides this definition for social and emotional skills. Quote, a set of cognitive, social, and emotional, sorry, social is not a word, a set of cognitive, social, and emotional competencies that children, youth, and adults learn through explicit, active, focused, sequenced instruction that allows them to understand and manage their emotions, set and achieve positive goals, feel and show empathy for others, establish and maintain positive relationships, and make responsible decisions. They're saying that the school using SEL is going to raise all of the kids, and it needs to go fix the adults to be compliant, perfect consumers, and perfectly controllable population. I'm just pointing that out. Manage emotions, do the things we want you to do, use empathy to get pulled around by your ass, etc. 
Within USAID, the term social and emotional skills is interchangeable with social-emotional learning, while, quote, soft skills is the term used when referring to youth workforce development in higher education. SEL and soft skills development supports all learners in their overall well-being. Well, they just say shit like that, but no, it makes them crazy. Are you, you People are fucking crazy. It supports them in identifying their emotions and needs, increases their confidence, enables them to name those needs. Yeah, we need more people talking about their fucking feelings all the time. Fuck you guys. It encourages them to develop their self-advocacy skills, which links them with educational workplace and community tools that meet their needs. Here's a tip for self-advocacy skills. Get them off their fucking devices because the devices, the cell phones, cause them to have social anxiety disorder because they don't know how to talk to a person without a text message. Make them go out into the world. Make them actually do things. Make them go pay for some stuff at a cash register. You know, normal shit. That actually is going to help them learn to be self-advocates instead of somebody who's sheltered by their fucking parents and lives their life on an iPad. This never interacted with another human that's not in fucking Minecraft block graphics. For youth in particular, soft skills development, and <laughs> I can't believe I just like start swearing in the middle of these things. For youth in particular, soft skills development leads to increased agency, enabling them to employ their skills and aspirations to make their own decisions about their lives. There are zero citations in that paragraph, by the way. They just say that shit. They just say it, and then we all have to go along, oh, USAID said this, it must be authoritative. They could have written anything. They could have written anything. They could have written, for, for youth in particular, soft skills development teaches them to eat dog shit. And literally, you just have to like swallow it or whatever. I hate these people. Social-emotional learning and soft skills development bolster opportunities. They're just saying stuff for building and sustaining supportive relationships in multiple ways. Yeah, called with your therapist because you're ruined. Relationship with self, peers, educators, school communities, parents, caregivers, and larger community. This isn't what I'm hearing from actual people. I'm hearing that kids are getting real sick of this crap already. That they're disaffecting from their teachers. That they're turning on their parents. Like, this isn't true. They're just saying this crap. None of it's true. These relationships lead to a more to more understanding and inclusive. Ah, oh, God. These relationships lead to more understanding and inclusive school and workplace environments. Remember, inclusive means compliant with neo-communism. Understanding means you don't argue with the neo-communism. Inclusive SEL contributes to safe and positive practices and policies for everyone. They just say this crap. And they cite a bunch of their own documentation. For more information, see the Social Emotional Learning and Soft Skills USAID, USAID Education Policy Brief, USAID's SEL and Basic Education How to Note, and USAID's Social and Emotional Learning SEL Systematic Review. For considerations during distance learning, use USAID's Delivering Distance Learning and Emergencies document. Does this not creep you out how much focus there is on this one thing that's... I just read a thing that said, I think it was Washington Post. I don't know. It was one, maybe it was NPR. It's a stupid NPR document. I just saw one of these things that said, said that social emotional, the, 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 the core ideas of social emotional learning have been with us as long as there's been public education. Bullshit. It was invented in 1994 at the Fetzer Institute. Like, what are you talking about? Oh, the core ideas of it. Okay. That's the typical trick. That's what the Marxists always say. This thing is always happening. We're the only ones who are doing it consciously. We're the wizards, so we're the only ones who are allowed to do it, and so we're going to take it over. No, social-emotional learning has not been part of education all along. It was invented in 1994 at a New Age spirituality institution, and it was 
developed into literally a Marxist programming tool that's now with virtually no good evidence behind it, despite the fact that they always say it's evidence-based. Their evidence is cooked. They and, the, and there's the bait and switch going on with the evidence as well. They're using this that to justify universal implementation at breakneck speed. All of education has to be retooled in terms of SEL right now to the point where they're redefining college and career ready in terms of SEL to the point where they're redefining at risk in terms of whether or not your SEL competencies are met. And then billions upon billions upon billions of dollars are being dumped into redefining all of it. SEL wasn't a significant part of education anywhere in the world or anywhere in the country, at least. I don't know outside of the United States, but probably it's a U.S. product. So anywhere in the world before the Every Student Succeeds Act was passed in 2015 and mandated some kind of reporting that SEL existed and Castle existed to lobby and consult to fill. Don't tell me this crap has been around all along. That's seven years ago that the that the law was passed. The Every Student Succeeds Act, ESSA, ESSA. Talk to your congressman about it. It should be repealed. None of this was happening before seven years ago in any significant way. The thing didn't exist before uh, 18 years ago. Did I do my math right? Uh, no. 28 years ago. 1994. Oh my God. How old are we? Okay, so... None of this did, but document after document after document after document after document. USAIDs publishing document after document after document about SEL. UNESCO, document after document after document about SEL. OECD probably has documents about SEL. I haven't looked. World Economic Forum, SEL, pedal to the metal since 2015 when that act was passed and all of a sudden Castle could rumble into existence. Castle became a force. Castle was created in, I think, 1996 or five, five, I guess, but it's been really only a force to be reckoned with since 19 or since 2015. So it's like, come on, does it not creep you out how much stuff there is that's being put out with regard to SEL all of a sudden? Do you remember ever having a big national debate? Like, should we have SEL? No, these freaking bureaucrats in education just decided that we're going to do it. Apparently in cahoots with the United Nations. How freaking creepy. You didn't vote for anybody at the United Nations. I'll just remind you of that. Okay, so next section. Equity, equality, inclusion, and justice. These are some of my favorite words to talk about all the time, aren't they? The terms... Oh, they're going to talk about words for us. This is important, though. Listen, I've said this about a billion times. Then nobody listen to me. Let's, let's actually... I've quoted different things. Let's quote this thing. The terms equity and equality are conflated. What does that mean? It means that they're treated like they're the same word but they're not. They're inappropriately mixed together. Mm. The terms equity and equality are conflated. However, the two terms have distinct meanings. That's what I've been saying. Equality is the state of having an equal number of resources and equal access to those resources. Equity takes this a step further and examines how structures and systems of oppression, that's Marxism, boys, create barriers to those resources, even if there are equal resources. Equity is a, quote, reassessment and redistribution of resources, human, institutional, and financial, in education with the goal of reducing or eliminating systemic, sorry, systematic inequality and in outcomes. In this sense, equity is a path to achieving equality. In this sense, what they should say is equity is fucking socialism. That's literally the definition. It is a reassessment and redistribution of resources with the goal of reducing or eliminating systematic inequality and in outcomes. That's their definition for equity. That's socialism. 
The only difference is is socialism is only financial, and this says human, institutional, and financial. It doesn't mention social and cultural, which it should also. Equity examines how structures and systems of oppression create barriers to resources even when there is equality. Equity is an administered system of redistribution of shares or resources so that people are made equal. That's socialism by definition. In education, they tell us, it means, quote, every student has access to the resources and educational rigor they need at the right moment in their education, regardless of race, gender, ethnicity, language, disability, family background, or family income. Thank you, Aspen Education and Society Program 2017. This means that for SEL to be equitable, it cannot be used as, sorry, it cannot be as a tool. It does actually say that. This means that for SEL to be equitable, it cannot be as a tool to promote, I guess, used as a tool to promote conformity to dominant norms and values. Citing Kaylor Jones from 2020. Again, the same Kaylor Jones we talked to, Sierra Kaylor Jones we just talked about. Let me say that again. For SEL to be equitable, it cannot be used as a tool to promote conformity to dominant norms and values. In other words, it has to be transgressive of them. Oh, shit, it has to be communist. Hmm. What do they say next? With, used without a critical lens. Uh-oh. Used without a critical lens, social-emotional learning risks achieving the opposite of what it promises. An example of this would be using SEL as a tool for disciplinary classroom management that discourages learners from expressing their emotions, so they do not disrupt classrooms or workplaces. Instead, SEL programs should encourage learners to name their emotions and develop strategies to express them in healthy ways. To, quote, do no harm, SEL programs must be based on learners' strengths, not remediation. Programs must be context-specific because there is no, quote, one-size-fits-all model for inclusive SEL. So there's no one-size-fits-all model, but they're going to use a universal design for learning. Huh. A good thing we're going to have SEL in our lives to manage the cognitive dissonance of that fucking contradiction these people are laying out in front of us. Don't think too hard. Be mindful. Live in the now. Without a critical lens. Let me say that again, though. Social-emotional learning risks achieving the opposite of what it promises. So if it's not the transformative critical theory kind, it's not going to do what they want it to do, which means there's only one right answer. So if you think you're going to implement something to check off the box, it's going to get slid down into that uh, corner, that transformative corner, in no time. Why? This emotions thing. Yeah, bring your whole self to work. How's that worked out? Go to work, complain, show your emotions, disrupt the workplace, and then the work, the, the classroom or the workplace is just supposed to deal with you having your emotional outbursts. This is exactly the reason why, or one of the like dozen reasons, why nobody can learn shit at school. Because everybody who gets mad, gets triggered, has to blabble, babble about their fucking emotions all the time. You don't feel like doing your job, and then if you're, uh, you know, particular equity circumstance, we'll call this, um, your boss can't say shit when you throw a fit, which completely disempowers the ability to have any kind of a, you know, workplace environment that achieves work. This is how you disrupt and dismantle any existing thing, but that's what it's for. Additionally, SEL cannot be implemented without examination of the greater socio-political context. Huh. Marxism, folks. When discussing social awareness, we should recognize that topics like power and privilege perpetuate inequity. 
power and privilege perpetuate inequity. No, inequity is actually defined in terms of somebody allegedly having systemic power and privilege. This is Marxism. SEL cannot be implemented without examination of things through a Marxist lens. That's what they've said. Sociopolitical context, specifically power and privilege, perpetuating inequity. We cannot be self-aware if we do. They're, what they're telling you is social emotional learning has to be neo-communist. It has to be woke Marxist in its orientation and later sustainable Marxist, as we already heard. We cannot be self-aware if we do not understand how structural and systemic oppression impacts our experiences. In other words, if you don't think in terms of structuralism, the Marxist way, then you aren't thinking at all. You can't be self-aware unless you understand yourself positionally within the systems of power that are imposed upon you by a corrupt society that needs to be challenged. That's what that means. When we go back to Hegel, I just invoked Hegel a few minutes ago. We go back to Hegel. Hegel said that in order to understand the opposites, to sublate and go to a higher level, Alfhaben, to see them as, as, as parts of a unified whole from a higher perspective. That's what Alfhaben's about. That's what the dialectic's about, to synthesize these things. That what you have to do is that you have to you know, raise up and you have to understand them as a part of a broader system. Marx was extremely clear that what you're actually doing when you're studying the real context of history, and that's what Hegel was talking about, studying the real context of history in a scientific way, is that you have to understand all of the historical causes for whatever phenomenon is in front of you if you want to understand it in its totality, which means you have to understand it structurally, which means that you have to, what is the wording here? In order to be self-aware, to know who you actually are, you have to understand how structural and systemic oppression impacts your experiences. In other words, you have to know what they call the phenomenology of everything that's led to the circumstances that you call you and your lived experience. Since learners have multiple identities influenced by multiple forms of oppression, intersectionality is applicable to SEL. Remember, this isn't some crackpot. This is USAID. Intersectionality is a necessary framework because it references not only identity, but the, quote, institutions that use identity to exclude and to privilege, citing Kimberly Crenshaw from 2015. To be in service of equity, social-emotional learning provides a foundation for engaging in brave conversations. Those are struggle sessions, boys. They'll file that under relationship skills, though. And self-reflection... That's filed under self-awareness. These are the castle competency groups. And examining privilege and oppression, that's social awareness, to combat bias and injustice. So as a purpose. You, it can't just be that you're going to learn about these things. It has to have the purpose of combating bias and injustice and obviously also attaining the sustainable development goals. Okay, so let me get this really clear for you. Brave conversations, courageous conversations, that's struggle sessions. That's what that is. That's what they're going to be in practice. It's going to be people calling. It's going to be some kids calling other kids racist. A teacher calling out some kid for being racist or transphobic or whatever. And you having to have a brave conversation, which means that you better shut up and swallow that shit. You better not argue back. You better not re reassert, uh, what was it, positions of dominance and, and what are the existing norms. Promote conformity to dominant norms and values. You better not do any of that. That's a brave conversation. Brave conversation and the brave that you're going to be brainwashed in the market. These are struggle sessions. Social-emotional learning provides a foundation for engaging in struggle sessions that induce self-reflection and the want to confess to your structural crimes. My God, 
How do you not see what this is? And examining privilege and oppression so that you can see it from the people's standpoint, which is what they call it in the Marxist prisons in China. Social awareness. Now, you see, I said this about SEL before I read any of this crap. This is new. I found this actually today. I've said this about this. People are like, you don't have any proof of that. Well, here's your proof. I'm not wrong. Hashtag James Lindsay was right. In fact, it should just be hashtag James Lindsay was right again. Social emotional learning, they tell us, is deeply intertwined with understanding our relationships with self, others, and the world. As such, SEL requires systems strengthening strategies. Wait, they just wanted to get rid of the systems are bad, systems of power are bad, system strengthening strategies. Hmm, sounds like they want to implement their system and make it very, very, very robust. Maybe sustainable. They want a sustainable system, I think, right? The sustainable development goals for the sustainable system of tyranny. For example, as outlined in section 2.1 in this paper, there must be a conducive environment for SEL to happen. Well, it sounds like our job is to make sure that there's no such conducive environment. If there are punitive disciplinary practices that promote control and compliance, educational spaces are not conducive to the self-expression, self-exploration, and relationship building that is required for SEL. Ah, so there's a roadmap to make sure that it doesn't happen. Make sure there is robust and firm and reasonable discipline in your schools and SEL can't work. But this, on the other hand, is saying that in order for SEL to work, you have to have a school that doesn't use discipline. Do you really want to send your kids to these dangerous brainwashing? They're, they're not just brainwashing environments. They're dangerous brainwashing washing environments. If there are punitive disciplinary practices that promote control and compliance, SEL won't work. Think about that for like two seconds. What are they saying is going to be necessary? Less punitive disciplinary practices. So now we're going to, we talked about the inclusive classroom and how it contributes to school shootings. Guess what the other major, major stupid woke doctrine is that contributes to school shootings? It's called restorative justice. That's what this is. You don't do punitive disciplinary, you do restorative disciplinary. Somebody does something wrong, you sit down and you have a kumbaya thought circle, feeling circle about it, and everybody, this is a horrible idea, but this is exactly the kinds of things. And then, well, because the school is graded on how well it's doing, it's not going to report when you have a kid who's causing problems again and again and again. You really should read the book, um, is it How or Why? Meadow Died. How Meadow, it's by Max Eden at any rate. Um, why Meadow Died, I think is what it's called. And it talks, it, it, it talks much less about the inclusive classroom than he needs to, but he talks a lot about restorative justice. And you need to understand that those two leftist agendas are destroying your kids' lives in school. SEL requires them. How about that? SEL can be a vehicle, that's in italics, for equity. Remember when I said it was like a hypodermic needle to inject things like critical race theory and queer theory and the gender shit? SEL can be a vehicle for equity. Hmm. Because of the development of social and emotional skills leads to environments where children, youth, and adults feel respected, valued, and affirmed in their identities. Let me just ask you, is that how you feel? Is that how you feel right now? Do you feel like they're affirming, respecting, and valuing your identity? Let's say that you're a white dude, or maybe you're just a white, white lady. Are they respecting and valuing your identity? Are they? No, of course they're not. You're just a basic straight white woman. Are they respecting and valuing your identity? What is a woman? You don't even know what a woman is. You're a fucking birthing person now. You don't have a vagina. You have a front hole. The thing behind you is your universal vagina. Do you feel respected? You're not 
a mother, you're a birthing person. I forgot all the other horrific things, chest feeding and all of this disgusting shit. Do you feel respected, valued, and affirmed in your identity? Of course you don't. The only people who get to feel that way are the people who are useful for their activist agendas, who the second women, the second you're no longer useful to their activist agendas, you're part of the problem now, and you will not feel respected, valued, or affirmed in your identity. To quote from a gaze against groomers saying, I identify as a threat to this terrible ideology. This is what I'm talking about. It's a depth of bullshit. This is exactly the opposite of what reality is because they see everything through the lens of this structural power, which they already said you have to do. And then you only are going to respect value and affirm identities that transgress the existing norms and values of society. Everybody else is going to be disrespected. Everybody else is not going to be valued. Your story has been told. That was, in fact, the sentence that got me interested in studying all this stuff 10 years ago. And you will definitely not be affirmed in your identity. Affirming yourself in your identity would make you a white nationalist, it would make you an extremist, it would make you somebody that the Department of Justice has to investigate. It, it would make you somebody that the military has to purge. It can create pathway. It does say that. SEL, it can create pathway for understanding, not pathways, just one, the one they want. It can create pathway for understanding multiple perspectives, citing themselves, which leads to openness and respect for differences. No, 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 no. Openness and respect, forced respect, forced toleration of bullshit like drag queens. Not differences. Nope. You being different. No, no, no. You are the same. If you are part of the status quo, if you are part of the accepted dominant norms values, you are not different. Only things that are different and transgressive of it are different. And you must respect that. That's what SEL can force upon you and your children. Equity, they tell us, requires structural shifts. See, you're part of the structure and we have to shift the structure. So we're going to respect differences to the structure. See how it sounds like it's really good, but it's actually fucking communism? Equity requires structural shifts, and while SEL alone cannot dismantle structures and systems of oppression, like white people, it can be used as a tool to build more inclusive communities, like for drag queens, and more equitable societies, which are socialist. Justice requires that we dismantle the barriers that cause inequity because everyone deserves the same economic, political, and social rights. There's a lot going on there. We, justice demands that we dismantle barriers because we all deserve equal rights. But if we have equal rights, but there's some barrier preventing us, then we don't have equal rights. Justice means equal rights exist in law. And there is equitable application of and access to those rights. See, so you don't have justice until you have equity. Do you understand that justice is the completion of equity? Equity is administered redistribution. Justice is the completion of that. More just educational and workplace environments distribute resources and access to those resources. Address behaviors that sustain oppression and incorporate inclusive mindsets, practices, and policies. In other words, they're communist. SEL can be a tool for leveraging relationships and knowledge of self to examine and enact justice and to create more just systems led by community experience. Who has community experience to lead those? The commissars do. 
the justice commissars, your DEI officers, your SDG officers, your ESG officers. They have community experience. Inclusion has its whole own section. I'm telling you, the two things they are absolutely committed to are sustainability and inclusion. We should attack them. We should attack them ruthlessly. Everybody in the world should roll their eyes when they hear sustainable and inclusive. Inclusion. The road to equity and justice is long and requires long-term investment and commitment. The road to socialism and communism is long and requires long-term investment and commitment. As long as we continue to work towards socialism, I mean equity, education must also be inclusive. Successful inclusion involves using universal design learning, is that what it was, UDL, as a foundation, to make. but there is no one-size-fits-all program. Manage your cognitive dissonance with your SEL skills now. Okay, to make SEL more inclusive, stakeholders at various levels of the education system should embrace UDL to make curriculum and pedagogy accessible to all students. UDL is a critical aspect of USAID-funded education programs. I forgot what it stands for. Universal Design Learning in Learning or something. Based on scientific evidence, just like they had for the virus, the Center for Applied Technology, which is somehow CAST, I don't know where the S comes in, developed the UDL framework, a research-based set of principles that guides the design of learning environments that are accessible and effective for all. Yeah, they're doing great. You guys are doing fucking great. Like a third of kids can read. Classrooms are a behavioral disaster. Parents are horrified. You're doing awesome. Good. Your research is, is spot on, just like with the virus, just like with climate change. It, quote, aims to change the design of the environment rather than to change the learner. Hmm. That sounds like it's going to work. That's the systems-based approach. This, the, the environment has to keep changing. It has to keep changing. So you're going to need more consultants and experts and, and officers to make sure it keeps changing. That way you don't have to change the learner. But you do have to change the privileged ones because you have to teach them to overcome their privilege. And research shows that UDL supports academic achievement, motivation, and comprehension. I'm sure that's legit. The UDL approach offers flexibility in how learners receive material, engage with content, and express their understanding of the information, and it builds on learners' strengths. It removes barriers to minimize exclusion and learning, and by giving a variety of options to learners, it reduces stigma by honoring differences. Yeah, well, sometimes stigma is important. Like, we should be stigmatizing probably the, the trans contagion. That would probably be good. Although UDL introduced the need to vary learning for, for learners with disabilities, educators now use it to make learning environments accessible and inclusive for all learners who have unique needs. In other words, they're going to put the R words back into the classroom. They're going to mainline kids who don't need to be mainlined, whether they're behavioral problems, whether they are emotional problems or disturbances, whether they're dangerous or whether they have other disabilities. That makes the uh, I hear from teachers all the time about how impossible it is to teach with a classroom of 30, 35 kids, at least some of whom are mandated to have one-on-one -on -one attention for significant blocks of time because of their disabilities. And I feel for those kids and I want them to get the attention that they need, but this inclusive approach doesn't work. And then again, when we look at look at the situation of bringing, you know, criminal children back into the school system, you, you can know where this is going to go. You can predict where this is going to go. But the UDL framework involves three major principles: engagement, representation, and action, and and expression. 
So that's four, but okay. And then they have a graphic about this. It might be interesting. I'm just going to skip it. And then they talk about these. Engagement provides multiple mechanisms of motivation for learners by giving them options and choices to make the content more relevant to them. Recruit interest by sparking curiosity for learners, or for learning, sorry, sustained effort and persistence in facing challenges. Self-regulate through harnessing emotions and motivations. You can get the idea of what this is going to be about. Representation principle means offering information in more than one format to promote understanding. Sounds like we're going to use culturally responsive teaching, which is just a reinvention of Freire's crackpot method into um, cultural politics instead of Marxist politics. So perception that is flexible content that does not rely on one sense to communicate or relay information, language and symbols that is modes of communication that offer shared understanding and help learners comprehend by supplying background knowledge and highlighting big ideas. Yeah. Okay. It actually is suggesting that coaches or mentors could provide information in a variety of ways, including giving explicit prompts for each step in a sequential process, providing interactive models, or offering constructive feedback on a skill that highlights further areas for growth, while also emphasizing strengths. So that could be the Frarian generative approach, like I was suggesting. Action and expression are apparently one thing. The action and expression principle provides more than one way for learners to show what they have learned. In other words, you don't have to pass a test. For example, using various methods of physical action for response, using multiple media for communication and expression, creating and implementing plans to maximize learning. An example of action and expression principle in youth workforce development is when youth gain valuable experience by participating in volunteer opportunities to problem-solve field-specific challenges and then feel empowered to act. This sounds like activist training. Seeing their efforts achieve positive change can have a profound and lasting impact on youth. Yeah, we had that project when I was in, in, in high school and we had to go like build out this garden and all this stuff for this um, place and it was actually a disaster. All we did was go and screw off and like stand out there in the cold and like carry around shovels and like make fun of each other and then go back to class and write about how great we were at, at community service. So anyway, crosswalk of SEL and UDL for inclusive SEL. This is what they say. By using both SEL and UDL frameworks, learning environments become more inclusive places built on strong relationships. The table in Annex 2 highlights, there's another document with another link, highlights the alignment between SEL competencies and UDL tenants and provides practical examples to illustrate how they can create more equitable educational opportunities for all learners. Now, let's pause. Are you confused? So we have SEL, which we barely understand. Now there's this UDL thing nobody's ever heard of. And then they're going to crosswalk into each other. So they're going to be mixed together. And that's going to create more inclusive SEL. And that's the thing we're going to implement. And so now you have to be an expert in SEL. And you have to be an expert in UDL. And you have to be an expert in how you put them together in order to understand what's going on. And what does that mean? That means the consultants that these people put out as activists are the ones who are going to dictate everything. Because nobody else has the slightest idea what it is. Nobody's going to know how to fight back. Nothing is going to make sense. It's all going to be layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of Soviet expertise that you have to have in order to be able to do or manage any of this stuff. The intersections of SEL and inclusive education and workforce programming is the next section. Huge thing about safety, identity-based violence is any act of violence motivated by how a perpetrator understands a victim's identity, for example, race, gender, and or disability. SEL and inclusive programming in the education sector have intersecting goals and objectives outlined in more detail below. SEL and inclusive programming in the education sector involve four overlapping themes. Safety as a prerequisite, contextualization, systems change, learner-centered pedagogy, and programming. 
So I don't know if I want to read all of this. Creating a safe environment is key is a key principle of USAID funded education programs. Learning environments must be emotionally, physically, psychologically, and intellectually safe, except for privileged kids, apparently. Privilege or anybody who has to be in the classroom with disruptive dangerous individuals who are included because of inclusion inclusion policies for all learners. Physical safety addresses learning environment-related violence, marginalization, and bullying. Oh, of course, that's what it's really going to be is about marginalization. Mm -hmm. For learners with marginalized identities who may experience identity-based violence, SEL promotes healthy relationships and can help make school spaces safer by increasing opportunities for community building. See, for those kids, but not the other kids. Those other kids already have a safe environment by default, is what privilege would argue. You have to understand how this stuff works. This goes on and on and on like this. I don't know how much of this crap anybody wants to hear, but it should be creeping you out. Uh, the gender equity movement in schools, that's a link, it's a whole thing. Use participatory methods to discuss how power dynamics influence gendered expressions. Experiences, sorry. Socialization of and belief about gender roles develop early, so creating SEL programs that promote gender equality and equity through disrupting gender stereotypes is crucial. That's the kind of thing. That's why you're looking at having this crap rammed into kindergartners about sex and sexuality and gender. Everywhere this is stuff. Oh, restorative justice. Another example of how SEL can be a tool to transform school spaces is by is using positive discipline and restorative justice approaches. That's exactly what I said before. In place of punitive and exclusionary disciplinary policies. So don't suspend people. Don't punish people. Restorative justice practices resolve and reduce harm by bringing communities together to collaboratively pose solutions, like putting the school shooter back in the school. The indigenous practice of circle keeping places members of a community in a circle. This is crap that like spiritually empty laptop class idiots do at like a weekend workshop. And then they think it's going to be appropriate for all kids. It's so freaking stupid. These privileged dumbasses. So that everyone is physically level and everyone has an opportunity to share. Listen, they always talk about how context matters. So the indigenous circle keeping takes place in the context of a fucking tribe that's like a family or a clan, extended clan, and they do the circle-keeping practice because they all know each other and they're all holding each other accountable. It's not a bunch of fucking random kids in a public high school. My God, you don't understand anything. You think this is the fundamental failure of communism. If you want to give Marx as much credit as possible, he looked back at the primitive tribal communist situations and thought that could be global. Turns out it can't. Turns out that that requires massive amounts of individual and community uh, accountability and responsibility that does not exist at, a, at scale. It does not exist at scale. Human psychology is not meant that, to work that way. It doesn't work that way. It will not be made to work that way by remaking man. It just makes people crazy and destroys systems so that everybody starves to death. It doesn't work. None of this shit works. Anyway. This symbolizes, because if you symbolize shit to kids, they're just gonna, everything's gonna work out. This symbolizes the aim to balance and share power, a key lesson in disrupting larger structures and systems built on power imbalances. How do you, how does anybody like these people? Nobody likes these people. Everybody hates these people. Practices like restorative justice help build a school shooter. Whoops, that's not what it says. Help build a more positive school climate and culture through perspective taking, authentic listening, empathy, and cooperative problem solving. Yeah, kumbaya. 
on and on and on it goes. This is the safety, right? So we're just going to throw safety out to make things more safe. But mentoring, blah, blah, blah. Another way, SEL, inclusive SEL provides a safe, stable learning environment through the adoption and implementation of accessible routines and structured activities. Yeah, that's for, okay. Contextualization. Let's just skip this safe crap because it's going to, I'm going to have an aneurysm. It's not safe for me to read it. Contextualization. With inclusive education and SEL, it is important to note that safety also requires, safety first, also requires that all educational opportunities are co-created and contextualized to the local environment. That's Frarian generative crap. So that SEL frameworks, pedagogy, and measurement ensure opportunities uh, do no harm. Okey-dokey. Contextualization is the adaptation of examples and curricula to the local context. That's Ferrari's generative thing. And define skills, framework, frameworks, and conceptualizations of skills are contextually relevant. Culturally relevant. Contextually relevant. Ferrari says every education must take place in its own context. And that's the point of the generative model. And that's why you have to survey the kids to find out what they're, and data mine them, to find out what they're uh, real context is so you can find out what the things are that are going to be emotionally and politically relevant. In other words, radicalizing to them so that you can fashion the lessons around them. That's the point of Ferrari's generative education. That's what it is. Many SEL frameworks are not currently implemented with equity or inclusion at the center, which risks SEL frameworks reinforcing Eurocentric, patriarchal, ableist norms and values. In some cases, SEL is used as a, it has to be more communist, guys. SEL is used as a metric of compliance, control, and discipline. For example, using mindfulness and breathing exercises that require all learners to remain still and close their eyes can trigger some learners. Oh, Christ. Because mindfulness focuses energy and attention on one task in the present, learners can instead have the option for how to practice mindfulness, such as moving their bodies or creating art. To ensure that mindfulness practices are accessible for learners with disabilities, there should be multiple options, such as listening to soothing music, holding options with different textures, or exercises that involve breathing and movement. Did you remember that this is school they're talking about, by the way? Mindfulness is a strategy that is also being employed in higher education settings as a way for students to manage stress, navigate adverse situations, and adjust to new environments. Back in the old days when we cared about outcomes, we failed the kids that couldn't fucking handle it because they weren't going to handle a fucking professional job either. When offered as a strategy with choice, it is shown to, over, to improve overall student well-being. How about academic attainment? Where's that? They never really talk about academic academic attainment because that's in the toilet and falling fast. It's not getting better, it's getting worse. But it's about well-being. The school is a giant daycare. Doesn't matter if your kids learn a damn thing or not. They're going to hold objects with different textures while listening to soothing, soothing music and do some breathing exercises at school. But you have to be careful because if you ask them to close their eyes, that might trigger people. And text box number three says ableism is the discrimination and social prejudice against people with disabilities. In other words, what they're saying is their bullshit doesn't work and it's somebody else's fault. And if you don't do it exactly right, you risk reinforcing Eurocentric, patriarchal, ableist norms and values. In other words, it's not communist enough. Additionally, they say SEL frameworks that have the most empirical evidence were designed and implemented for learners in the United States. That's a problem. It doesn't even talk about British kids or how to how to brainwash Africans. The skills outlined in SEL frameworks, such as responsible decision making, are different in various cultures and contexts. Therefore, it is important that missions, missions, and implementing partners, 
missions, like it's a church. And implementing partners are aware of implicit and explicit biases they may bring into the design and implementation of SEL programming because it's too America-centric. As an ex- While SEL frameworks emphasize individualistic characteristics, many cultures and contexts regard collectivist characteristics as most important. As an example, a study conducted in Tanzania showed that teachers and parents viewed social skills like respect as important while only teachers perceived individual competencies such as being self-directed as important. <sighs> on and on it goes. I don't know that I want to keep reading all those boring-ass details. The U- Let's do this last part. The USAID How to Note on Integrating SEL in Basic Education Programs, that's a link, it's its own whole other thing, offers a validation checklist to understand cultural and contextual relevance in SEL programming. The considerations include age, stage, language, conflict or crisis, ethnicity or tribal group, disability, race, gender, and religion. There is a need for more evidence and programmatic examples that also consider sexual orientation and the role that heterosexism plays in inequitable structures and systems. When designing SEL programs across the education spectrum, this this validation checklist serves as a contextualization research. Probably need a drag queen or two. Why don't you send the drag queen to Tanzania and see how that goes? Just, just, a, just a suggestion. Maybe you should send one to the Middle East. See how it works out. Anybody thought that they could probably improve Saudi Arabia by sending the drag queens there? What a good idea. I think that we could have some greatly inclusive improvements. By the way, the preceding paragraph is talking about how soft skills are necessary because of what we learned, quote, as workplaces adapt to COVID-19, soft skills development needs to adapt to local demands, healthcare laws, and policies. It's about COVID-19 and the need for soft skills. This is the same shit that the uh, World Economic Forum says. Learner-centered pedagogy, really not going to dwell on this detail. UDL and SEL advocate for learner-centered curriculum and pedagogy. At its core, learner-centered pedagogy moves from the narrative that learners and youth need fixing, you know, like a banking model or a nutritionist model of education that Ferrari talks about, and instead places emphasis on changing systems to meet learners' needs. Oh, communism. See, it's not the learners that need fixing because they're dumb and they're ignorant. It's that the systems need to change to meet their needs. So in other words, it's a justification for power grab. In many contexts, learning has been teacher-centered, where much of the learning takes place with the teacher as a lecturer. In teaching, in teacher-centered learning, the teacher has full control of the classroom and learner's attention focuses on the teacher. See, this is exactly what Freire criticizes. This is Paulo Freire right here. This has been the traditional model of education, but it differs from learner-centered pedagogy, which meets the needs of each classroom and lesson. Learner-centered pedagogy includes learners in classroom decisions like planning, implementation, and assessment. Hey, would you guys like to have a test today? Would you like it to be hard or easy? Just what do you? <laughs> By infusing choice and autonomy in lessons, all learners study more effectively because the curriculum and pedagogy meet their needs and are relevant to interests and cultures. Yeah, never, ever, 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 ever in learning comes up that you need somebody to drag you into some shit you didn't want to learn, like algebra. I don't really want to do this anymore, teacher. Suck it up, buttercup. The test is on Friday. Turns out, then, people who don't want to study algebra have to study algebra. Nope, not in learner-centered pedagogy. I don't really want to do this. Well, let's do an art project and hold a textured object while we listen to soothing music. Why are we not learning anything? Blah, blah, blah. Oh my gosh, there's so much stuff. We have digital story time, it says, all children reading Grand Challenge. Are there options for which books to select? You know, maybe they're going to select a drag queen book or uh, 
genderqueer or something. Anyway, culturally relevant, we'll skip a little bit there. Culturally relevant, culturally responsive, and culturally sustaining pedagogies affirm the cultural identities of learners and curricula and pedagogy. All of them? No, not all of them. Privileged ones are automatically affirmed and sustained, so they have to actually be knocked down a couple pegs. See, because you have to learn to see from the, per the perspective of the oppressed or the perspective of the people. Culturally relevant pedagogy is a retooling of Paulo Freire's model. Wait, that's not what it says. It says, quote, a theoretical model that not only addresses student achievement, but also helps students to accept and affirm their cultural identity while developing critical perspectives. See, Marxism. The challenge in equities that schools and other institutions perpetuate. Ladson Billings, that's Gloria Ladson Billings, 1995. She wrote two papers on culturally relevant pedagogy that year. Like culturally relevant pedagogy, culturally responsive teaching is, quote, using the cultural knowledge, prior experiences, frames of reference, and performance styles of ethnically diverse students to make learning encounters more relevant to and effective for them. It teaches to and through the strengths of these students, citing Gay 2010. Now, let's pause. Culturally relevant and culturally responsive teaching are literally the Freirean pedagogy method retooled into cultural politics. In other words, identity Marxism. In other words, this pedagogy responds to students' talents and unique contributions. Curricular materials do not just relate to learners' interests, but they respond to and engage with learners' interests and experiences. See, they can radicalize them. Now, culturally sustaining pedagogy. This is from Django Paris, 2012. I tried to read this book. This book was so damn insane that I was like, this is a hoax. I, I mean, it's probably, it's not, but I can't even read this thing. This is the most insane education thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And I'm somebody who's like, stop calling them crazy. Stop calling them idiots. This culturally sustaining pedagogy book is nuts. I have it somewhere. It is nuts. It's nuttier than squirrel poo. It is straight up like the most insane identity Marxist thing in the universe. But anyway, culturally sustaining pedagogy is here cited as one of the key ideas for SEL, according to USAID this year. And it, quote, seeks to perpetuate and foster to sustain linguistic, literate, and cultural pluralism as part of the democratic project of schooling. Cultural, culturally sustaining pedagogy centers the fluidity of culture. Culture is dynamic and shifts in varied ways. Learners may borrow, adapt, and extend cultural practices by blending what they learn at home in their communities with peers and through other outlets, e.g. online. Culturally sustaining pedagogy honors the past while also encouraging students to explore, shape, and adapt new iterations of culture. Although theorized for educational spaces in the United States, these pedagogies provide a framework for centering learners' cultures in curricula and pedagogy that are contextualizable to multiple settings. In essence, these pedagogies build on learners' knowledge and incorporates their cultural practices as central to their learning experience. So the SEL is going to be based on culturally responsive nonsense. Okay, so it's Freirean for sure, but it's also identity Marxist for sure. So it's woke as... I didn't say the F word this time. Skipping a little bit, text box four. Auditory processing delays occur when individuals have difficult difficulty hearing sound differences in words. Okay, that's good. So there's going to be multiple formats of all the materials, yada, yada, yada. Systems change. Let's skip a little bit more. 
Inclusive education and SEL require cultural, structural, and systemic shifts. Implementing SEL alone will not make education and youth workforce development more equitable, which is apparently the only goal other than sustainable. For example, placing students with disabilities into mainstream classrooms without shifts in curriculum and pedagogy does not make the classroom or school more inclusive. See, not only do you have to put the kid with a disability into the mainstream classroom, you have to change the entire classroom agenda to make sure that they fit in there, or else it wouldn't be inclusive. Similarly, how's that going to benefit all learners? Well, it benefits the, the least off of the learners, so it'll benefit all the learners. So equity equalizes downward as found yet again. Good luck to your kid who maybe doesn't have disabilities in school. Similarly, true SEL cannot happen unless there are structural and systemic adaptations and support. For example, if a school or work training program implements SEL but then maintains harsh discriminatory disciplinary policies and practices, it does not give learners the opportunity to practice reflection or empathy by engaging in restorative practices. See, so if somebody wrongs you at work or at school, then you have an opportunity there to engage in reflection and empathy by engaging in restorative practices. And if you just punish the person who did you wrong, well, you wouldn't have that opportunity. It would be taken away from you. In this case, SEL without structural and systemic shifts does not create an environment for SEL to happen, resulting in learners who do not feel safe making mistakes or practicing SEL without fear of retaliation or punishment. Positive Youth Development Framework, that's a link. I'm just saying that because I'm trying to indicate to you how many frickin' documents they've written about this crap and how much you have to know to be able to know any of it, which is why they get away with hiring consultants and saying, well, we, we're the only ones who know all this crap because we're literally the only four people on the planet who, read all, who wrote and read all of the, pe the pieces of paper about it, and therefore you have to pay us hundreds of thousands of dollars to destroy your kids, and you don't know what you're talking about because you haven't read all this crap that's just made up anyway. The Positive Youth Development Framework emphasizes the importance of enabling environments that develop and support youth's assets, agency, access to services, and opportunities while minimizing risks and protecting them. All sounds great. Not at all clear how any of it works. All educational environments, formal and informal, must not only promote SEL, but create environments conducive to SEL. Get that? All educational environments, formal and informal, all of them, must, 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 not only promote SEL, but create environments conducive to SEL. In SEL and inclusive education, there must be a cultural shift. And educators must regard learners as asset-based rather than deficit-based. In inclusive education, it means no longer regarding learners with marginalized identities as a problem, but instead equipping the educational system to meet their needs through appropriate pedagogy training, teaching support, and accessible environments, for example, sign language, braille, access to communication technologies, etc. That means learners feel welcome and have the resources necessary to fully participate in the learning process without barriers. It means pie in the sky. Simultaneously, educators, administrators, and the rest of the school community need to develop the knowledge, training, and resources to implement the necessary adaptation to the, uh, and accommodations to minimize learning barriers. With SEL, educators, administrators, caregivers, policymakers, and donors must understand the value of non-academic skills. So you have to be brainwashed on it. Education stakeholders can understand and value social and emotional skills by being aware of the compelling evidence linking social emotional development to the other positive educational and behavioral outcomes that mostly do not exist or exist in the other side of the bait and switch. They exist in the bait, but not in the switch. Okay, so are you getting a picture with this? Um, 
that's going to be really expensive transformations of schools and school environments. So that there are no barriers for anybody in every classroom, right? And they're going to be fully integrated because that's inclusive, but only when you completely change everything to make sure that the inclusion is full inclusion. So there are no barriers on any level, including with disabilities, including with every other thing. So what is that going to look like? Well, it's going to be really expensive. So it looks like they're going to create honeypots or slush funds where they're going to have massive amounts of money for people who comply. And they're going to give out the money for compliance to implement this stuff and create this is the creating the justification for the gigantic amount of money that they're going to be able to reach up into. And if, so long as uh, so schools are going to then be offered, say, whoa, here's this stuff. There's tons of money if you implement this stuff. And then they say, well, we want money. And so they implement this stuff. This is how the grift, this is how the thing works. Without structural changes like providing education with adequate training to create and sustain classroom spaces that are inclusive. Notice how it's a key value there, right? Any efforts toward inclusion may cause harm. Educators must receive adequate training, development, and ongoing support. Sounds like that's going to be expensive and require consultants. And be provided with the necessary training to teach and support learners through differentiated instruction. Sounds harder and harder and harder. Schools are going to need a lot of money to pay for that. wonder where they're going to get it. They should receive access to resources for learners with specific needs, such as speech-to-text and other forms of accessible communication. Educators should receive training in UDL and be supported. I can't, I've already forgotten what UDL, Universal Design and Learning or something, stands for. And be supported in their own social and emotional well-being and development through ongoing training and reflection. Always the reflection, because it's a religion. Because when educators feel equipped and confident in their practices, learners can better understand how to identify and exhibit social and emotional skills. Part of the support for teachers must come from administrators. Administrators and school leaders must share beliefs and strategies that uplift SEL and inclusive education. See, you all have to be in it together doing this crap. Nobody knows why we have to do this crap, but we're doing it because these people said we have to do it, and they made a lot of money available to people who do it. And then the rest, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Special Olympics Serbia, Serbia, measurement, national and regional assessments of social and emotional skills and soft skills are relatively new and have come into use in just the past 10 years. No kidding. Much of the current research on SEL fails to include demographic information, yada, 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 tons of documents on how they can measure it and make reporting. So then there's tons of implication for policy and practice, but what it all boils down to is that we're going to have to achieve equity and inclusion through SEL. Donors and USAID staff are going to have to fund things that go in the right direction and don't fund things that don't go in the right direction. Policymakers need to make sure that the laws and industry, government, local communities, and global academic communities can serve as a gateway to international dialogue. Total nonsense. Include SEL and anti-bias training as a key component of all teacher training. Policymakers, make sure that you are forcing them to learn anti-bias and SEL. Teachers, mentors, and coaches should receive training to identify and reflect on power, privilege, and bias, especially as it relates to social and emotional skills development. More and more and more and more and more grinding people, ongoing coaching support should include grinding people into the neo-communist perspective. Let's see. Implementing partners, addressing attitudes and stigmas. I'm sure that's funny, but we're going to skip it. Environmental policies. Hmm, that's ramps for wheelchairs, institutional communication and informational barriers. And then the rest of this is document is just resources. So we've actually covered the, the thrust of the document. Was there anything else in the appendix that was funny? Um, okay, so I think this you don't need to hear all of the painful details, references, etc. Okay, so you don't need to hear all the painful details of this document. Uh, this uh, social, let me go back up to the top and find out the name of this, USAID 
document that is titled Equity, Inclusion, and Social-Emotional Learning, you get the gist. The point of the episode was, here's USAID with all of its inclusion. What's the point of SEL for them? Inclusion and equity, which is communism. It's very clear that critical communism or critical a critical approach, critical thinking, critical theory, critical Marxism is necessary or else SEL might go backwards. And the whole thing is designed off of a grift to get it. And then what was the other document we looked through? It was SEL for SDGs from UNESCO, the United Nations Educational uh, Scientific and Cultural Organization, putting out a document in 2019, three years ago, saying that social and emotional learning is necessary to achieve the sustainable development goals and saying that the purpose of it is to help mitigate the cognitive dissonance the students will experience when having to face sustainable development goals as their key avenue in education, the key purpose of their educational experience. So the purposes of education are sustainability, according to UNESCO, also inclusion, and then inclusion and equity, according to USAID. These are not small organizations, and these documents are not atypical. I didn't cherry pick the crate. These are just things that came across my my desk. People are like, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? These are significant um, points. So sustainability and inclusion are the two main values that they're really pushing, and they're pushing it heavily through the schools for through social-emotional learning. And I want to just drive home that one point one more time with this UNESCO document. They explicitly say that the entire framework, the point of the SEL framework, is to minimize and manage the cognitive dissonance that arises with sustainability becoming the primary value and goal of education. So I go back to my opening statement. We're doing another podcast on social-emotional learning for a reason, and that reason is however much you trust social-emotional learning now, you should trust it less. However much you trust your school that is implementing it, your government that is supporting it, your state leaders that are, are putting it into policy, you should trust it less. This is how they are going to communist your kids. Okay, if we go back to the World Economic Forum, and I'm not going to rehash the whole thing, but we go back to that World Economic Forum document. No, in fact, we can go to the great, uh, what is it, the great narrative for a better future, Klaus Schwab's book from this year. What does he talk about? He says, well, we're going to use a public-private partnership to force ESGs from the top down, but we're going to create a bottom-up demand from it in the young generations. And what are they also talking about in their other documents? How? Well, they're going to make the kids demand sustainability. They're going to demand environmental and social policy that makes sense to them, that governance structures that look like what they want. They say that if the top-down doesn't work, the bottom-up is going to demand it. And simultaneously, in the third dimension, they say that they're going to uh, transform or rewrite the social contract, which, again, they're going to get the youth to demand a new social contract geared for sustainability and inclusion. Social-emotional learning is the tool to transform the youth into that, which Ben Williamson, I remind you again, said is to create, to gather psychodata so that they can implement a psychocracy, a psychologically driven form of governance that makes perfectly forecastable economic units and perfectly manageable political units. That's the vision that these people have for your children, and SEL is the tool that they use to, to, to make it happen. The documents all point in this direction. But if nothing else, if you think, well, that's way too far, that's way too far, even though one of the documents I read on this podcast or read from on this podcast is SEL's four SDGs, social-emotional learning in order to achieve the sustainable development goals of the United Nations Agenda 2030, which aligns with the push and the other thing that I'm reading for a podcast series from UNESCO also 
saying that the point of higher education institutions needs to transform itself and all of its missions and values to, to achieving the sustainable development goals of the United Nations Agenda 2030. As if that's not... Okay, maybe that's too conspiratorial for you. It's not conspiratorial for you to understand that what they say is that what this is about... What SEL is about is teaching kids to embrace certain values by manipulating them on their social and emotional uh, levels. And those values include sustainability, equity, and inclusion. That is explicit. And that if you don't approach this with a complete commitment to critical inquiry, to critical analysis. Now, which critical do they mean? Do they mean critical thinking? No. They don't. They said an analysis immediately after of power structures. We go back to Allison Bailey. Allison Bailey, I did a whole podcast on, on, on the bullets about this. Allison Bailey wrote a, wrote a paper in 2017 for Hypatia, the leading feminist philosophy journal, and said that there's a difference between um, critical thinking and critical pedagogy or critical theory. And the difference is, is that critical thinking is about soundness, validity of arguments, evidence, etc. And critical theory is about analyzing power and privilege and systems of power and privilege and how those structure society so that you might challenge them and overthrow them. And that is explicitly what this USAID document said is the means by which SEL has to be implemented. That meshes with what we read, not only in the Handbook of Social-Emotional Learning, and not only from Linda Darlingham's forward in it, where she says we're going to use Ferrari's definition of humanization and transformation as the basis for what social-emotional learning is supposed to achieve, but it also meshes um, with the other paper that we read, the long paper, the Jaeger's paper that we read uh, as a, another four-hour podcast on social-emotional learning, where they explain that the difference between um, personal responsibility, for example, and transformative social-emotional learning and the importance of transformative social-emotional learning, which was a subject yet again of the bait-and-switch podcast that I did on social-emotional learning. So if you haven't gathered, if you don't believe the conspiracy stuff, uh, you should at least understand that they are not hiding the fact in any way whatsoever at all that social-emotional learning to be truly effective has to be done through critical Marxism to achieve equity and inclusion and in and sustainability. That should be right there in front of you. And maybe you support that stuff because you're an idiot and you don't know what you're thinking or doing and you don't actually understand what it is. But it's unambiguous that SEL is a critical Marxist tool in education that's used to manage and manipulate emotions and social circumstances in order to get the outcomes and goals they want out of your kids. So whatever you might think, whatever you might worry that that is about, you should trust it less. However much you trust social-emotional learning, you should trust it even less than you do. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on another episode soon.